sisters. Uh, growing up, uh, my family and I lived in a house that was really close to a set of train tracks. And uh, we didn't know this until we moved in, but the train uh, would come in about twi- every two times every 24 hours, and uh, it was loud. And the horn was super loud, and sometimes the house would even shake. And uh, during the day, it came in, you know, different times, but at night, it always came exactly at 1.27 a.m. And it, it was, I mean, I'll be honest, it was actually pretty difficult to live with for about a week. I mean, a, a week, yeah, it, it was not that great, but after a while, you just get used to it. And after a while, I mean, you don't even notice the train anymore. I mean, it was loud, but it just, it, it just didn't bother you. And it, we kind of had an inside joke between uh, me and my family because uh, friends and relatives would come and they would stay over and they would say, man, did you hear that train last night? And we'd all kind of look at each other and say, what train? <laughs> I think some events in Jesus' life are a little bit like that train. There's meant to be a a boom and a a shake and a big horn that's supposed to wake you up a little bit. But because we hear them every single, because we hear them every single year, it kind of loses its shock value a little bit. I saw in a survey, the the second survey that I sent, because the first one didn't work, bigger mistake, that about three quarters of us uh, would say that they are either uh, very familiar, extremely familiar, a five out of five, or about a four out of five uh, familiarity with Palm Sunday, right? You know what's going on. And about uh, less, than a qu- less than a quarter of us would say one, two, or three. You know, I'm not quite super certain about what's going on Palm Sunday, not sh- really sure what it's about. And I would say that those people today have a distinct advantage because, you know, you really got to kind of ha- look on it with fresh eyes to really understand this event that is just so unexpected and quite frankly bizarre. And in order to understand Palm Sunday and all of its unique angles and nuances, we have to answer three questions. The three questions, and they're printed in the bulletin. Why a donkey? Why palm branches? And why the temple? You notice that at the last verse, Jesus goes to the temple after um, he makes his procession. That's really significant. But first, let's answer the question, why a donkey? Well, consider the context. Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead in front of a lot of people. So uh, before this, Jesus had been very low-key about letting people know who he was. Uh, He didn't let a lot of people know his identity as the Messiah and the Son of God. But now he's starting to let himself be publicized. Now he's going to let tens of thousands of people proclaim him as the Son of God, as the Messiah, as the King of Israel, and even more people when he goes into Jerusalem. Now's the time to establish his kingdom. So you would expect that he's going to get like a big, nice steed, a mare, a a big, beautiful horse to ride on, but instead he chooses a donkey. He chooses a, now now think about it, donkeys were low class, cheap, uh, somewhat smelly, somewhat ugly, uh, burden-bearing animals. They were used on the farm. They were used to carry luggage or, or kids would ride on them during long journeys. That's what donkeys were for. Now, if Jesus wanted to make a statement, if Jesus wanted to show that he's literally above everyone, quite literally, because when you're on a horse, right, you're above everyone, most kings, when they made their procession, their first public appearance as king, they would choose to ride a, a big, powerful, fast, intimidating horse that that would run people over. That's how you showed your power and prestige as a king. So why a donkey? Well, listen carefully. Jesus is telling you about himself. Jesus is showing you 
that he is a walking, talking, breathing paradox. Now, if you don't know what a paradox is, it's a statement with two parts that normally contradict each other. So when a I forget who said this, but someone says, uh, my greatest successes in life were my failures, right? That's a paradox, because it has two things that go against each other, but they make sense. Jesus is the ultimate paradox. Think about who Jesus is. Jesus is the master and the ultimate creator of the entire universe, which the tiny fraction that we know about is about 93 billion light years in, in, in diameter, And that's just a tiny little splinter of the entire universe that Jesus created. And Jesus has that entire thing in the palm of his hands. Every single subatomic particle functions according to Jesus' command. Jesus is quite literally holding the universe together just like that. And yet when he was on earth, he let himself be not only born of you know, dirt poor people, but also he was from a backwater, insignificant town in one of the most insignificant, tiny, weak places in the entire earth. Jesus is all-sustaining, all completely self-sufficient, right? We, we like to think of ourselves as adults as self-sufficient, right? You know, I, I don't need anyone, but in reality, none of us are truly self-sufficient. Jesus is the only one who is truly self-sufficient. In fact, every single living thing that survives on earth does so because Jesus graciously allows that to happen. And yet, at the same time, while Jesus was on earth, he depended on the Heavenly Father for everything. Now, Jesus is mercilessly just. He says about himself in the Old Testament that he is a jealous God, a God of merciless justice, uh, punishing the children for the sins of the Father to the third and fourth generation. And at the same time, he is infinitely, compassionately merciful and loving to all people. Jesus is all-knowing, all-powerful, immutable, unchangeable, unknowable, and at the same time, he rides a smelly, low-class, hee-haw donkey. Why? Because that's the kind of king his people would need. Remember that that Palm Sunday is actually uh, a fulfillment of a prophecy given by Zechariah that we read earlier. Zechariah was writing to the Jews who had just been taken back from exile. They were low, they were were humbled, they were shamed, they, they were vulnerable. And God tells Zechariah, tell those people that the king, their ultimate king, is not gonna be like any king that they've ever had before. The kings that they had, they subjugated them, they trampled over them, they burdened them with their taxes, they, they put them down. This king's going to be different. This new king, he's, got, he's not going to trample them with a horse. He's going to serve them like a donkey. He's going to bear their burdens like a donkey would. And that's the kind of king that you need too. I think deep down, each and every single one of you know that, that when you're going through the trials of life and you're going through painful things in your life, you don't need another set of rules. You don't need another, you, you don't need just really good advice from an interesting teacher. And I think everyone here really know, deeply knows down that, deep down knows that you don't need all your, your money problems solved because even if you did, you would still have more problems. You don't need all your relationship problems solved because if you did, you'd still have more problems. And all of us know that, that we don't need another relationship, another politician, another a president, another anything that promises security and love and hope and joy and satisfaction, but they can't give it. 
Jesus knows that we need a king not to trample us over, but to serve us, a king to love us, a king to restore us and to heal us and to bear our burdens. And that is the kind of king that Jesus is. You're all powerful, yet all gentle. You're all just, yet all compassionate. You're all unknowable, but known. Merciful king. Second question. Why palm branches? Well, typically, you know, we think palm branches are like a sign of victory or celebration. That's not quite accurate. Um, Think about it. In the ancient Near East, the palm branches are the queen of all the trees. You know, palm branches are the tallest, and they live the longest. They live for almost 200 years, especially in a a climate that that is so hot and so sunny, right? Palm branches have those big, generous leaves that give you shade. And when you're in the desert and you're desperate for water, you see palm branches in in the distance, you're going to celebrate because that means there's water. That means you're saved. So palm branches are actually a sign of immortality, a sign of salvation from certain death. Now, pair that with what they were saying about him. They were saying, Hosanna in the highest. Um, What they were doing, actually, was they were quoting Psalm 118. Uh, So in Hebrew, it goes, Ana Adonai Hoshiana, Ana Adonai Yetzlichana. So Hoshiana, Hosanna, you kind of see where that comes from. And so what they're doing, you kind of get a chant about it, right? Ana Adonai Hoshiana, Ana Adonai Yetzlichana, right? And so they're saying that over and over and over again. Literally, Hosanna, what that literally means is, save us save us. And then what they would have said after is, uh, you know, it says cause prosperity, but really that means give us victory. Give us success against our enemy. And that makes sense because this psalm is actually a Passover psalm. If you don't know what Passover is, that's the biggest, most significant holiday in the Jewish year. That's when they celebrate uh, God delivering his people from slavery in Egypt and bringing them to the promised land. So they're thinking about Jesus in the same way that God delivered our ancestors and saved them from Egypt. This Jesus guy is going to save us. He's going to deliver us. Also pair that with what they were saying, you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is he who reigns on the throne of his father David. In the Old Testament, there were plenty of prophecies that God gave about someone from David's line, a descendant of David, that's going to restore David's throne and bring Israel back to power. That's what they were saying about Jesus. And at the same time, we can't be sure, um, we can't be sure that the people knew exactly what they were saying. Because everything they were saying was right and true. That's what Jesus is. But if we assume, that, and I think it's a good assumption, that if uh, the people are drinking the theological Kool-Aid of the Pharisees and the uh, teachers of the Bible at that time, they didn't really understand quite what they were saying. You see, the, those people, what they probably wanted was a, a, a king to come in and kick out all the Gentiles, kick out all the oppressive uh, Romans, and, and make Israel back. You know, bring Israel back to the glory that she had under David and Solomon. Make Israel top dog again. But they didn't understand that Jesus' kingdom, Jesus' jurisdiction doesn't just stop in Israel. It spreads throughout the entire world and lasts after the earth is destroyed. See, they thought that that Jesus was going to give them salvation and deliverance from the Romans. But no, Jesus actually came to give them so much more salvation and deliverance from their own sins and from death itself. Now, they thought that Jesus was going to give them the honor and the glory of being the biggest, baddest nation in the world. 
But Jesus came to give them so much more. He came to give them the honor and the glory of being able to stand in front of a holy God and have him say, you are my child, and with you I am well pleased. And instead of giving them the glory of everyone on earth, thinking, wow, yeah, they're really something, he was going to give them the glory, his own glory as God himself, sharing his glory in heaven. There's a warning here. There's a warning here for all of us. Palm Sunday shows us, as does other, other places in, in the Bible, that it is entirely possible to be in church and say all the right things and, and sing all the right things and still have no idea who Jesus really is. And so today, who are you worshiping? Who are you praising today? Are you praising the real Jesus? Or are you praising and worshiping the Jesus that you've kind of come up with and molded in your heart and that the Jesus that makes sense to you and is, that you're comfortable with? See, it's easy to praise Jesus today because it's bright and it's positive and it's Palm Sunday and we're all singing Hosanna. But what about uh, when Jesus kind of oversteps his bounds? What about when Jesus gets a little bit too personal? What about when Jesus doesn't just tell you where to be on Sunday morning, but he also tells you how to act on Saturday night when you're at the bars and Friday night when, with your, when you're with your friends and Monday morning when you're with your boss and your coworkers? What about when Jesus gets a little bit too personal and tells you how you're supposed to act in your intimate life and, and he says you can't live with that person before marriage, you can't do that with that person that you're not married to and that you shouldn't be watching that on your phone? What about when Jesus tells you how you're supposed to earn your, or how you're supposed to deal with your hard-earned money? And he tells you that, no, you shouldn't be spending your money on that. And no, you shouldn't be working those kinds of hours. And no, you shouldn't be pursuing that job or you shouldn't be pursuing that dream. What about when Jesus gets a little bit too, too personal and tells you how you're supposed to be in your relationships and he says, no, you can't talk to your spouse that way. And no, you shouldn't be parenting that way. And no, you... you should not be treating your parents that way and that you need to forgive and not hold grudges against the, your friends and your family that have hurt you. See, it's easy today to praise and celebrate and embrace Jesus and it's going to be easy a week from now on Easter Sunday when everything's so bright and positive and we have all the nostalgia as we're singing our favorite hymns and hopefully we have our greatest attendance on Easter. That's what we hope for, but I wonder how many of those people are going to be here at the Springs for Monday, Thursday as we Look at Jesus in the garden and see his disciples abandon and betray and uh, even deny him and realize that that's exactly what we do. Well, how many of us are going to be here on Friday when we have to look at the cross and our Savior crucified in public and, and realize that that's actually what we deserve? You see, the people uh, back then... It, Look at it, looking at it from a one way, you know, yeah, they're expecting from Jesus things that they didn't really have the right to expect. But a, 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 another angle tells us they're settling. The people back then were actually settling. See, they, all they wanted was just a, a, a political national hero that would give them, you know, earthly glory, earthly prosperity. But Jesus came to give them so much more. Don't settle. Jesus has so much more to offer you. Jesus is so much more than just a cuddly teddy bear to, to go and tell about your problems or when you feel sad or insecure. 
He's so much more than a political mascot. He's so much more than all the things that we make him out to be. He has so much more to give you than just five steps to improve your marriage or inspirational quotes to uh, post on your Facebook or just interesting teaching to think about on Sunday but then forget when you go home. Jesus is your all-victorious, all-powerful, servant-suffering king. And because he loves you so desperately and so deeply that he would be willing to be sacrificed for you, let him convict you. Let him challenge you. Let him change you. Let him reform you. Let him restore you. Follow him, all, not, not just through the gates of Jerusalem when it's fun, but all the way to the cross and bear your cross as well and be a part of his true kingdom. Why? Well, for the same reason, the, the same answer as why you should do that is the same reason as why the temple? You see, we have one of the, I, I, I mean, in my personal opinion, but one of the oddest, most bizarre, unexpected twists of this story. Consider this. If you were going to establish your kingdom, start ruling as king, what would you do after you go into Jerusalem, celebrate it right after all the people? Well, you'd go to the temple, or not the temple, you'd go to the palace. You'd go to the praetorium and, and kink, uh, kick Pontius Pilate out, who was in charge of Jerusalem at that time, and slay all the Roman soldiers and start being king. That's what everyone else expected. But Jesus didn't do that. He went to the temple. And Jesus is showing you that his kingdom is radically different than any other government, any other sovereignty, any other culture that has ever existed. Now, when we talk about Jesus' kingdom, I'm going to define that a little bit because that, that, that term can be kind of hard to understand. Jesus' kingdom is his influence, his rule in the hearts of believers. So right here is a little pocket of Jesus' kingdom, right? And Jesus' kingdom has, you know, spread all over the world, right? This is this is a part of Jesus' kingdom. And Jesus' kingdom, he's showing us it's radically different. Radically different. And the, as we go toward, you know, throughout Holy Week, he continues to unfold. He continues to reveal more and more of how radically different his kingdom is. He shows how radically different his kingdom is on Monday morning. When instead of, you know, going to the temple and uh, expelling and kicking out all the Romans and all the Gentiles, no, in fact, he goes to the temple. And he kicks out all the money changers and all the animals so that, so that the Gentiles can pray in peace in the temple courts. That's what's important in his kingdom. On Thursday night, when the private meal with his disciples, he shows how radically different his kingdom is by when he washes his disciples' feet and shows, this is what leaders in my kingdom do. This is how authority is used in my kingdom, to serve in the lowest way. He shows how different his kingdom is when he lets himself be arrested. He actually stops his disciples from, from stopping to know. He says, let me get arrested. And he lets himself be unjustly condemned to death. He lets himself be publicly humiliated, publicly shamed, publicly tortured, and publicly murdered like a criminal. Because he's showing that unlike every other kingdom, which is founded on violence, founded on revolution, founded on slaying your enemies, Jesus' kingdom is founded on him being slain by his enemies and for his enemies so that his enemies could be his friend. His kingdom is founded not on taking lives, but on giving his life. That's what his kingdom is about, his sacrifice. Now, uh, what about today, right? How, how is Jesus' kingdom so radically different today? 
How does Jesus' kingdom grow? How does Jesus' kingdom get more and more, you know, expansive? Well, it, how, what about this little pocket of Jesus' kingdom here at Light of the Valleys? Th- does this pocket of Jesus' kingdom grow uh, because we have the best musicians? Th- does it grow because we have the best preaching? Does it grow because we have the friendliest people? Now, grant our music is excellent and our, our preaching, I hope, is good. And, and I, uh, our, our people are some of the nicest people I've ever met. But that's not what grows the kingdom. That's not how God grows his kingdom. God grows his kingdom, not through all the things that humans think are impressive, but through a very simple message. That although all of us are more evil and more wretched and more sinful and more ugly than any of us would ever dare imagine, through Jesus' sacrifice, we are all more loved, more cherished, more accepted, and more forgiven than we would ever dare hope. That's a message that even a a five-year-old kid can understand, but it's powerful. And that's how God chooses to spread his kingdom. It's radically different. And so today, sing Hosanna. Belt it out. Sing Hosanna in the highest with all your might. uh, Because this is a day of celebration. But understand what Palm Sunday is. Palm Sunday is a shadow of what is to come. Because very soon, Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to have a triumphal entry. Except the triumphal entry that he's going to have, it's not going to be into Jerusalem. And he's not going to be riding a donkey. And he's not going to be surrounded by hundreds of thousands of people waving palm branches and singing Hosanna. And he's not going to be entering Jerusalem to be judged and to be destroyed. No, when Jesus comes again, he's going to be riding on the clouds of heaven. And he's going to be surrounded by legions of angels and all the saints in glory and the song is going to be so loud that it raises the dead and he's going to be coming into the world not to be judged and destroyed but to judge the world and to destroy the sinful world that hurts us and create for us a brand new world that will last forever sing hosanna to the suffering victorious eternal king amen We'll continue uh, with the Nicene Creed, our confession of faith. Please stand.